You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. All right. Well, Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for all that he's accomplished for us, Lord, as us. And I thank you for just the truth that the gospel proclaims. I thank you for the truth of what it proclaims about us, Father, of what it proclaims about all of creation, Father. Thank you for what it proclaims about the human race. Thank you that Jesus became sin. He became the curse. He became sickness. He became lack, Father. He became the delusion of separation from God so that we could live united with you, that we could be your temple, that we could dwell in that place, Father, of innocence, and that we could experience your love, your unconditional love and acceptance, Father, and that from that place, we would burst out with worship, Father, because of the good news, because of the unbelievably good news that we are innocent, Father, that we've been redeemed, that sin has been extracted from our, our lives, Father. And it is so incredible, Father. It, for t- at times, it's hard to believe, Father, because we live in such a, a judgmental world, Father. We live in a world that has been programmed from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Father. And we thank you that this revelation is so life-changing, Father, that we can be set free from all of that. And so we just pray today, Father, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you would permeate this broadcast. We pray, Father, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we could know the hope of our calling, Father, so that we would understand what it means to live in seamless union with you. So as we kick things off today, Father, I just yield. I yield my mind. I yield my body. I yield all of my faculties to you, Father. Think through my mind. Speak through me today, Father, and release an impartation of your love, of your glory, of your goodness to every single listener. Make it clear, Father. Answer questions that people have, Father. Shift our perception and lead and guide us into the truth, Holy Spirit. We give you praise for it. We give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, awesome, you guys. We are here for part three of Love School. And I'm excited. I was excited about today's broadcast because I've been sitting with just a lot of different thoughts around unconditional love and really the importance of us understanding the gospel, like the real gospel, the truth of what Jesus has accomplished and how that leads to a life of unconditional love. And so today what I thought I would do is that we're going to we're going to take a deep dive into 1 John 3. And I want to read it from the Mirror Translation because the Mirror Translation uh, by Francis Dutrois is such a glorious, beautiful translation of the gospel. Uh, And Francois does such a beautiful job of diving into the uh, root of the Greek words. And uh, just as an awesome theologian, understanding the reconciliation that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And the reason that I I want to do it from this translation today is because... Most of us haven't really heard the gospel from a all-encompassing perspective. And what I mean by that, you know, I teach a lot out of uh, Ephesians chapter one. I teach a lot out of Colossians chapter one, because most of us have not realized the extent of what happened when Jesus, you know, was crucified and he was buried and he rose from the dead. He ascended and he sat down at the right hand of God. And I think for those of you that have been listening to my podcast 
for a while or listening to my broadcasts or have been a part of a merge or have been a part of my ministry in any any for any length of time, you understand that the gospel that I'm preaching, the gospel I'm preaching, first of all, is the gospel of the of the epistles. <clears throat> it's the revelation that the Apostle Paul brought to the church. But it's not so much the revelation that most of us have grown up with or most of us have heard or most of us have studied to any extent. Because in Colossians, what the what the Apostle Paul is saying is that in Christ, God was reconciling the cosmos to himself, reconciling the world to himself. The gospel is the pronouncement of, of humanity's reconciliation with God. It is the pronouncement of creation's redemption as well. It not just were not was not just was man reborn on the cross, but the entire universe. It's the new creation. It's the undoing of Adam. It's the the uh, perfection of what Adam uh, brought to chaos. And a lot of times people get um, confused, I think, because of the gospel that I preach. They they misinterpret some of the things that I'm saying. And I just wanted to take a few minutes before we talk, dive into First John today, just to clarify a few things that I see comments on Facebook. I see things that people comment on, you know, my different posts and things. And so if you're watching, if you're following me on social media, you may see some of these comments or you may have questions yourself. And I encourage you definitely comment on those posts. I do read them. My team reads them and we we, you know, take that into account when I'm doing these broadcasts. But, you know, a lot of people don't understand something called the doctrine of inclusion. Okay. And the doctrine of inclusion is not universalism. Okay. Sometimes when people read my posts, because they're coming at a lens through, um, frankly, their entire lives through a lens of separation, many things are misunderstood. And so I want to, first of all, just introduce you, if you've never heard of the doctrine of inclusion, what does that mean? Okay. What it means is that everyone in the human race was included in the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay. It means that once one man's sacrifice was all that was required to uh, cleanse the human race from sin. Now, most people will be like, yes, Shalise, I, I follow that. But as soon as I say that, there's always this question that comes into people's minds. Well, if everyone was included, well, what does that mean about the new birth? What does that mean about faith? What does that mean about, you know, people that, that are born again and people that aren't born again? That's usually the language that, you know, evangelical, evangelicals and charismatics will, will question. And here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the reconciliation between God and man is complete from God's perspective. It is a completed fact in the spirit. In fact, if it wasn't a completed fact, we would have nothing to believe in the first place. Now, our belief is simply the recognition that that has happened. And when we recognize that that has happened, how do we recognize that? Because we hear the gospel. When we recognize what Jesus has done, well, guess what? We have the opportunity to actually understand it and believe it. And belief is a gift. It comes through the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is the power of salvation. And that's why when the apostle Paul was, or, or the early disciples in the early church were preaching the gospel to people, there wasn't an altar call, right? People just began to speak in tongues. People just automatically awoke to, or woke up to the reality of what Jesus had accomplished. And so, you know, we have, we have, 
in, in the Western church, we have put so much uh, responsibility on people, right? People to repent, people to confess their sins and what, what the person does rather than what Jesus has done. And so the doctrine of inclusion just basically says that Jesus actually finished everything that needs to be finished for the human race to be innocent again. And all that's left for us to do is hear it and awaken to it. Okay, the new birth is actually an accomplished fact. The cosmos were reborn on the cross. Now, we don't experience that new birth until we know it, until we hear it. I'm not saying that everyone is experiencing reconciliation with God, but the truth is, from God's perspective, it is a completed work. And the reason that this is important, you guys, is because it changes the way that we see people. It changes the way that um, the lens through which we see ourselves and through which we see the universe. And it's important because most of us operate, if you remember my podcast from last time, if you haven't watched that, I encourage you to, most of us operate out of one or both paradigms, right? We come at our relationship with God, either from the lens of a prodigal, which is unworthy of God's love, or we come at our relationship with God at, from the perspective of an elder brother, which both of these brothers, as I mentioned last time, are operating from a lens of separation from God out of a lens of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is the idea that someone can be righteous apart from Christ, either through good works, right? Through our own self-effort, through our performance, somehow we are made acceptable and lovable to God. And so the gospel is the proclamation that that system has been eradicated. That system arose from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so I want to introduce that doctrine to you guys by calling it what it is. It's the doctrine of inclusion. This is a this is a centuries old doctrine. This is not a new concept. This is the this is the way the early church understood the gospel, but it has been lost, you know, over the the centuries of religious systems picking up uh, you know, the gospel and translating scriptures and all of the other things that have, you know, basically buried this truth in the modern day church. And so I wanted to just introduce that today before we go into reading First John 3. And I want you to understand that the mere translation has a grasp of the doctrine of inclusion. It's one of in my opinion, one of the most powerful translations because of that, because you don't have to necessarily, you know, do your own studies of the Greek words in scriptures that don't seem to say this. Um, and once you've seen the mirror translation, well, then you can begin to question other translations and begin to go, okay, what is this text really saying? And so I like to teach out of the mirror translation. I encourage you guys to get a copy of the mirror translation because even the name of the translation means that we are a mirror of God, that our, our identity is Christ. That as Christ is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. That we that are joined to him and one spirit are, are one spirit with him. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we know these scriptures, but we don't necessarily have a lens through which we view the entire Bible through. We don't view the entire context of scripture through the cross and through the what Jesus accomplished for the human race on the cross. So I am not saying that everyone is 
enjoying their union with God. I am not saying that everyone understands the gospel. There are believers and unbelievers. But this believer and unbeliever, you guys, is something that extends beyond believing the so-called gospel. Because the truth is we are renewing our minds every single day. Even those of us that have heard the gospel, we are still renewing our minds and eradicating the illusion of separation in our lives. And frankly, this is what I'm coaching on day in and day out with people that are in Emerge, with people that are in our graduate programs, with people that I'm, you know, doing breakthrough calls with. I mean, the, the stories that we tell ourselves, the suffering that we have in our lives really comes from this illusion of separation. We don't know who we are. We don't operate out of a place of living in union with God and abiding in Christ. So with that said, let me, let me go in. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture today. So if you have the mirror translation, you are welcome to read along with me. Uh, I'm going to skip uh, Francois's, you know, little footnotes here and just go into the text. So in 1 John 3 verse 1 is when I'm going to start reading here. It says this, consider the amazing love the father lavished upon us. This is our defining moment. We began in the agape of God. The engineer of the universe is our father. So it's no wonder that the performance-based systems of this world just cannot see this. Because they do not recognize their origin in God, they feel indifferent towards anyone who does. Okay, I'm going to stop here for a moment before I read on. Because in addition to the doctrine of inclusion, I want to talk about the timelessness aspect of the gospel. Because when you understand the gospel of inclusion and you understand that God dwells outside of time, you start to understand that we have been in Christ, that we were chosen to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. You begin to read scriptures like, you know, in Ephesians 1 that says we were chosen in him to be holy and blameless in his sight before the foundation of the world, you start to understand that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. You understand that God sees the redemption of mankind as an already accomplished fact and that we began in Christ before we were in Adam. And from a timeless perspective, in the timeless realm, God is now, right? Everything is eternal in the eternal realm is, is, is what you might call present tense. Everything that God, Jesus is, he was, and he is to come. So from God's perspective, that's what prophecy is. It's seeing things from a timeless perspective so that we see things as already accomplished now. And when we believe that things are accomplished now, guess what we experience? We experience what we believe. We experience what we are aware of. And so the doctrine of inclusion, when coupled with this, uh, this concept of the eternal perspective of God, places us in Christ before Adam. Okay, the redemption and the Bible story is simply the walking out in time of what has already been true from God's perspective. And if you don't have a timeless lens, as well as an inclusion lens, you will identify with Adam and you will identify with a fallen nature and you will identify with a sin nature. And the gospel is the proclamation that that has been eradicated. And the cross was simply the fullness of time when it was accomplished in time. But from God's perspective, we have always had our origin in God. And the fall of man was simply 
the introduction by Adam of a different system, a performance-based system, a law-based system, a system that is rooted in judgment and a, and a self-righteousness that comes from judging right and wrong, judging ourselves right and wrong, judging others right and wrong, and living from a lens of separation from God, which is where the lens of self-righteousness and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil manifest, right? So what Jesus did was he was, he undid the effects of that system. That is a performance-based, judgment-based system. And the inclusion of humanity on the cross means that that was undone for every person. No, they don't know it yet. No, they aren't experiencing yet because they haven't heard it. But the truth is, for many people that are listening right now, they haven't heard this before either. So technically, there's a whole lot of unbelief happening in their lives as well. And what unconditional love is about, it is about evening the scales. It is about putting everybody on the same level in need of redemption and also having been redeemed. And so it eradicates the us and them. It eradicates our rights to judge, our rights to judge others and our rights to judge ourselves. And as you know, I've read 1 Corinthians 13, specifically in the Amplified Version, God's love does not keep a record of right and wrong. And so innocence is the way that God sees us. Now, I'm going to read 1 John 3 here in a minute, but I do want to introduce another comment, concept here. And it's the concept that we are programmed. We are programmed from a very young age into this performance-based world system, into this system, into this culture of right and wrong. And from a very young age, <clears throat> we are taught right and wrong. We are taught to judge. We are taught to eat of this tree. And what we, what most people don't realize is that our subconscious minds is what is, is what is being programmed. And from the age of one, some people say eight, some people say five, some people say 12, whatever the age is, right? Our subconscious is just like a recorder and it is recording our life experiences and it is recording our definitions of right and wrong, what is true and what is false. And the subconscious mind is a tape recorder in the sense that it doesn't know the difference of right and wrong or truth or lie. And it will record a lie as truth just as easily as it will record a truth. And so truth is something that gets programmed into us. And just because truth, we think something is true, does not make it true. It means we judged it as true. Okay, let me give an example of this. I talk about this sometimes when I when I talk about people discovering their purpose in life. Because the problem is, is that we have a lifetime of judgment stored in our subconscious. In fact, that's what forms the basis of who we believe we are. It, it forms our self-image. And many, many times the program that we have been, uh, you know, programmed with over the course of our life ends us, ends, puts us in the place of living out of a self-image that is absolutely false. Because number one, it hasn't been programmed with union with God. But number two, things have happened to, to us over our lives, many of them traumatic, which have taught us things about ourselves and the world that are not like heaven, that are not like God, that are not from the lens of the gospel. 
And so the example I use sometimes is that sometimes people, for example, are called to be public figures or called to be uh, public speakers, but yet they don't have any self-image, nothing in their subconscious mind affirms that reality. In fact, they think there's no way that I can speak in public. I don't, I hate speaking in public. I'm not a public speaker. I'm, I'm kind of a behind the scenes person. I don't want to be seen. But the truth is, is that God ordained them to be seen. God, God created them with a public platform, but yet they can't see themselves that way because of the programming of the world. And many times it'll come in through things like, you know what, I they have a memory of something. They were in school at some point and they stood up and maybe they read to the class or maybe they tried out for the talent show or something and they were ridiculed or they were made fun of. And so guess what? A judgment was made in that moment. Oh, I'm never doing that again. A judgment was made. Oh, I, I, that's not safe. I mean, it, it, and the thing is, is that it's not a conscious judgment. You guys, these are, we are kids. And so what happens is we just take on these beliefs. And the truth is, is that the innocence of a child is, is because they just absorb from things. They're not the source of truth. They get their truth from parents, from authority figures. And so there is this innocence, which means there's this inability to discern right and wrong. And innocence is what that is. Innocence means I, I don't have the capacity in and of myself to judge right and wrong. I need a source outside of myself. And guys, that's why the return to innocence, why becoming like a little child is so, so, so important. Okay, because we and here's what I want to say about this is that this is happening to every single person on the planet. Everyone has a program self image. Everyone has a subconscious programming that tells them truth and lies and tells them right and wrong. And this system that everyone is being programmed through and by is exactly what Jesus came to undo. It is the undoing of a judgmental right and wrong self-righteous system, okay? Now, with those things in mind, okay, inclusion, timeless eternity, and the reality of subconscious programming in the human race, you start to understand and begin to recognize what unconditional love is, why it is required, and why how it springs up through the release of judgment and through the receiving of God's unconditional love. Because guess what? This revelation that I'm sharing with you, God has. God sees people through the lens of their distorted self-image, of their separated self-image, and chose them while they still had it regardless of whatever programming added up and whatever little decision tree they made over the course of their life. The bottom line is where they ended up was separate. Where they ended up was delusional and deceived in who they actually are. So now with that foundation, let me read First John 3. So let me start it again. And just because I really wanted to, to talk about that too in the context of this first verse. Verse one says, consider the amazing love the Father lavished upon us. This is our defining moment. We began in the agape of love, the agape of God, rather. The engineer of the universe is our Father. It's no wonder that the performance-based systems of this world just cannot see this because they do not recognize their origin in God. 
They feel indifferent towards anyone who does. Beloved, we know that we are children of God to begin with, which means that there can be no future surprises. His manifest likeness is already mirrored in us. This sameness cannot be compromised or contradicted. Our gaze will confirm exactly who he, who he is and who we are. And every individual in whom this expectation echoes also determines to realize their own flawless innocence mirrored in him, whose image they bear. Verse four, distorted behavior is the result of a warped self-image. A lost sense of identity is the basis of all sin. Let me read this again. Distorted behavior is the result of a warped self-image. A lost sense of identity is the basis of all sin. Verse five, we have witnessed with our own eyes how in the unveiling of the prophetic word, when he was lifted up on the cross as the lamb of God, he lifted up our sins and disengaged its dominion and rule over us. To abide in him in uninterrupted, seamless oneness is to live free from sin. Whoever continues to sin has obviously not perceived how free they are in him. They clearly do not really know him. And I would just add here, they do not know themselves and they do not know the gospel. Okay. Verse seven, it says, little children, do not be led astray by any other opinion. His righteousness mirrors our righteousness and is the source of our actions. Verse eight, sin's source is a fallen mindset from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of God was revealed. His mission was to undo the works of the devil. Verse nine, to discover one's authentic sonship in God is to discover true freedom from sin. We are born of him and his seed remains in us. This is the only possible reference to sober up the mind from the intoxicating influence of deception. Verse 10, there is a very visible and vast difference between living one's life from your God identity or for, from a fallen mindset. The Diablos, meaning demonic fruit, has nothing in common with righteousness. Neither does it know anything about brotherly love. Verse 11, our love for one another was the topic of conversation from the start. God has nothing less in mind than a loving family. Verse 12, Cain's killing of his brother Abel is in such contrast to this. His motivation was clearly sourced in the Panoris tree system. Paneris, P-O-N-E-R-S. I could talk about that, but I'm going to just go through it without doing that. His idea of divine favor was to count on his own works as being superiors to his brother's faith righteousness. Okay, now we're going to go down to verse 13. It is no wonder then that this performance-based, that the performance-based religious systems of the world loathe you and detest what you stand for. A works-based society finds its leverage in both boasting, elder brother, you guys, and condemnation, prodigal. 
Verse 14, it is clear that we have relocated from a system of dead works into the dynamic of authentic life in the way that we love the family. Love is life. Not to love is death. Verse 15, to hate a brother is to murder human life. Man, this is a powerful revelation. That's a powerful statement. To hate a brother is to murder human life. Okay, it's not just the act of murder, and it's it, it, but it's the actual process of hating. Hate equals murder. It says the life of the ages does not echo any resonance in a murderer. It is only in the constant, seamless resonance of life that agape, in other words, unconditional God's kind of love, is realized. Verse 16, love is known in its other centeredness, just as Jesus laid down his life for us to free his love within us for others. Let me read that again. Love is known in its other centeredness, just as Jesus laid down his life for us to free his love within us. Jesus laid down his life to free his love within us for others. Verse 17, the indwelling love of God compels one to live sensitively aware of people around us and not to exclude those in need. 18, my darling children, let us, let's not deceive ourselves by paying lip service to love while we can truly live in the dynamic of love in our practical daily doing. Verse 19, and this we know that our beingness is sourced in that which is really true about us. Our doing good is not phony or make-believe. This is who we are in God's sight. Verse 20, so even if our own hearts would accuse us of not really being true to ourselves, God is greater than our hearts and he has the full picture. His knowledge of us is not compromised. Verse 21, beloved, we know what God knows to be true. Beloved, when we know what God knows to be true about us, then instead of condemning us, our hearts will endorse our innocence and free our conversation before God. Now, instead of begging God, we speak with confident liberty as sons. We also treasure the conclusion of his prophetic purpose, meaning the cross, and fully accommodate ourselves to his desire and pleasure, knowing the warmth in his eyes inspires poetic freedom in our every expression. Verse 23, and this is the ultimate conclusion of his desire and intention, that we would be fully persuaded concerning the name of Jesus, who has successfully accomplished his mission as the son of God to rescue mankind's authentic sonship. Our love for one another completes his joy. Verse 24, everyone who treasures this final conclusion of God's dream abides unhindered in seamless oneness in him and he in them. His gift of the spirit is to endorse our awareness of his abiding within us. Now, you guys, this, I know I took some time to read a lot today, but I'll tell you what, every single word needs to be chewed and swallowed and digested. We need to meditate on these truths that I talked about today. And we need to study these things out ourselves. You guys, I have been a student of scripture. I have been a student of, of doctrine. I have been, a, I've been a, an avid reader now for over 20 something years. And theologians, I'm not, I'm not preaching a new gospel. I'm preaching the original gospel. And 
I think one of the things that hangs us up sometimes is that we have, that's why I tell people to get so many translations of the Bible is that, is that the, the scriptures have been translated through all kinds of lenses over time. And I know I'm, I'm not trying to give you a distrust for scripture. I'm trying to encourage you to study and study different points of view. Because I will tell you what I just shared with you today about the doctrine of inclusion, about the timeless, eternal perspective of God and the fact that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, meaning we were included not only in the cross 2000 years ago, but we were included in the cross before Adam's fall. And then the concept that our subconscious minds are programmable without us even recognizing that they are programmable and that we, by default, grow into a false self-image. These truths that I'm sharing, this revelation coupled with what I just read in 1 John will change your life. It will change the way that you perceive the gospel. It will change the way you perceive the scriptures. It will change the way you perceive God and his love and his, his beautiful mercy and grace and plan and dream. And it will change the way you see yourselves. It will affect the way that you relate to God and receive from God. And it will affect the way that you see every single person, not just our brothers and sisters in Christ that are children of God because they recognize who Jesus is, but also our brothers and sisters, our neighbors who we are commanded to love as we love ourselves. And we are commanded to love ourselves the way that God loves us. We are commanded to love. We are commanded to let God's love flow through us through this revelation. And I know I've said a lot in today's mess, today's message. And I know that because as I'm recording it live here, there's not even a lot of comments. It's kind of like everybody, when they start to hear these things, it's like they're like deers and headlights because they start to realize that this is kind of this undoing of decades of programming, of lifetimes of programming of the way that we've related to God, of the way that we have judged others. We have by not even really meaning to, but we've just been partaking of the performance-based system. We've been living out of a false identity. We've had a distorted image of ourselves and we have been in a, you know, acting out sinfully because of that distorted image. And the truth is when you really get this, that sin is a result of a distorted self-image, well, who in the heck are we to judge anybody? Because everybody has one, you know? I mean, psychologists call it the ego. Scripture calls it the old man. What does that mean? It's this, it's this self-generated self that has basically been born through our participation in the world system. And it's why, you know, it's the scripture says in Romans 12 too, to not be conformed to the image of this world, but to be transformed, be transfigured by the renewing of our minds. And what are we renewing our minds to? We're renewing our minds to the unconditional love of God, to the brilliance of God, to redeem us from that distorted image through Jesus's incarnation and through his death and burial and resurrection and ascension that that has undone the distorted image and we are renewing our minds to the new creation we are renewing our minds to this seamless union with jesus that where we are accepted in the beloved unconditionally because god understands the condition of the human race and guess what it's for everyone everyone was included you know the john the baptist said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the whole world right john said um, 
That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So the world that God redeemed, the, the, the creation that God redeemed was motivated by his love. And it was motivated by his in-depth understanding that the performance-based system causes death, that sin causes death. And that sin is arising through our relationship with performance, our relationship with judgment, our relationship with righteousness apart from God. It is a, it's an idolatry of self that's operating by default without us even recognizing it. So the fact that we aren't recognizing it, we're not even recognizing it when we're being programmed is in, 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 in one sense, a confirmation of our original innocence because we accept lies and truth subconsciously without even having the capacity as children to know the difference. And so I pray that this revelation is something that I'm getting across today and that I hope you're understanding that this revelation is behind all of my social media posts. It's behind the, the gospel that I proclaim. So when I say things like, God, you know, all of your dreams have been placed in, God, in your heart by God, or I place that, I say that God, you know, the desires of our heart are holy. I say, there's a lot of things that I say that assume your innocence. I assume your innocence in my social media post and I declare your innocence in the social media post. And I also declare and, and operate from a position of understanding that we have a wounded self. We have a separated self. Now, granted, it's a figment of our minds, but we all have one. We have a programmed self, an unrenewed mind that has given us a, 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 a delusioned, deceived identity that is separate from God. And Jesus's prayer at the end of his life was that we would live in oneness, that we would live in oneness with him and that we would live in oneness with one another and that we would drop the judgment. We would drop the performance that there would no longer be elder brothers and prodigals, but yet we would just be sons. We would be children of God and we would love one another the way that we have been loved. And in order to love one another the way that we have been loved, we have to see one another <clears throat> the way that, that God does. And you guys, he sees us innocent and blameless. He sees us in Christ. He sees us redeemed. He sees us as new creations. He sees us as joined to himself, as divine partakers of his nature, that we are divine, we are eternal, we are immortal because of what Jesus has accomplished and sin and sickness and disease, they all lack all of it. Everything in the curse arises from judgment. It is from self-judgment. It is from the judgment of others. It is from the judgment that comes from the fact that we have five physical senses and we do not perceive usually the spirit realm. We just live trapped in this sense-based human judgment driven world system. And when we awake to the gospel, we are invited into awaking into the kingdom of heaven, which is now, which is here. It's an invisible reality that lives within us. Jesus is the cohesive force. He's the cohesive creator who holds all things together. There's nowhere to go apart from his presence. And I'll tell you, this affects the way we see everything, God, everything, guys. Nothing was left to the dominion of the kingdom of darkness anymore, right? 
we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And darkness is simply the ignorance of our redeemed innocence. Darkness is simply the delusion and the deception that we have a self apart from Christ, that we have a relationship. Darkness is relationship with judgment and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we walk in the light, we walk as redeemed sons and daughters of God who love the way that God does, who are accepted in Christ and receive this innocence again. And we not only do it, we don't do it from this judgment place. I mean, how can we be judged innocent and then judge everybody else guilty when the same verdict that, that judged us innocent is the one that judged everybody innocent? There is a subtle form of self-righteousness when we, when we, when we compare ourselves to others, when we, when we judge others as somehow less worthy and less, less loved than we are and less, I mean, in need of redemption. Like somehow we've arrived because we've heard it and because we have a revelation of it by the grace of God. You know, like somehow that makes me now the, the, the judge of everybody else. And now I've got to sit in this judgment seat and I've got to tell the adulterous woman about it. And I've got to stone them and I've got to make sure they know right from wrong so that they, and then I preach the gospel out of this lens. And you guys, I don't even have time today to go into just the frequency that is released in that religious nonsense versus the frequency of love. And the truth is love is not just a feeling, but it is a feeling. And it's, it's a person, but it's a frequency. It's the frequency of heaven, love, joy, righteousness, peace in the Holy Ghost. These are frequencies. These are frequencies. These can be felt. They can be felt by human beings. They can be felt in planet, on the planet. They can be felt in a church. We can feel the presence of God. We can sense the frequency of heaven. And you guys, when we vibrate at these lower levels with guilt and shame and accusation and judgment, you know what happens because we're creative? We just see the world through that lens and we attract more of it. Let me tell you, when you are living out of a lens of judgment, judgment is all you see. If you are living out of a lens of anger, you're going to find things to be mad about. If you live out of a lens of, of um, uh, accusation, you're going to feel accused. You're going to be in a constant state of spiritual warfare internally because you're playing the blame game internally. And that's all you can see is what is wrong rather than through the lens of love and through the lens of the gospel, when all you can see is what is right. All you can see is redemption. All you can see is beauty. All you can see is the great love that God has for human beings, for his entire creation, for every creature, for every single thing that he has created. There is great love for the world when you see things through the lens of God's unconditional love. And so whatever frequency you're vibrating at, I can promise you it's a lens. And you can look, frankly, on social media. You can look anywhere. You can have a conversation with someone. And very soon, very quickly, when you have this revelation, you can see the lens that they're viewing their lives through. And you guys, religion is deadly. You know what? Judgment is deadly. Whew. Self-righteousness is deadly, right? To be carnally minded is death. To be separated from your brother, to be separated from God 
is death. And this union that we have with God is not just us individually having union with God, but it is us collectively having union with God. And the truth is some people know it, some people don't. And even the people that do know it typically don't live in it consistently. So once again, we need to drop the judgment and just recognize that every single person is worthy of the blood of Jesus. Every single person is worthy of esteem, is worthy of honor, is worthy. Jesus said, when you visit someone in prison, you visit me. That when you, when you fed me and I was hungry, you gave food to me. Why? Because Jesus identifies even with criminals. Jesus identifies even with the, the, the people in society that are rejected. And until we get this revelation, guys, we are not going to draw those that don't know Jesus to Jesus. Why? Because love is infectious. You know what? Jesus drew you know, the non-religious people to him. He drew the rejects. He drew, you know, the prostitutes. He drew the, the leopards, the untouchable, the tax collectors. He, he was, he was, people were drawn to him. Why? Because of love, because of acceptance. And this performance-based system is what murdered Jesus. And it's the religious system is still murdering. It's still persecuting. It is still judging. It's still doing its thing. And that's why, you know, John, the apostle John says here in first John three, don't be surprised when those, when people that are under that system don't recognize this, don't be by, because that's the lens that they operate through. So yes, is there going to be persecution when you believe these things? Yes, is there going to be misunderstanding when you preach these things? Yes, but the response must be love. The response must be understanding. And when you understand the things that I'm teaching today, you recognize that Jesus said, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. That it really was true that people don't even understand the, the distorted image. They don't even understand what Jesus has accomplished. They don't understand original glory. I mean, if you're in the church, you identify with the original fall. I mean, the, 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 you know, original sin, which frankly is not even a, in the Bible. It's a doctrine. And so I just, my job, I feel like is, is a, is a, you know, is someone who's called to preach the gospel, someone who's called to do this is to, my goodness, you guys, the fruit of this should look like love. The fruit of this should look like patience. It should look like long suffering with people. It should look like a safe place. It should look like a safe place for people that everybody else is rejecting. It should recognition. It, it should be the fruit of this should be humility. Like, who am I? I'm in the same condition as everybody else. Maybe my programming looks a little different than theirs, but the truth is I'm not in a position. I don't, I don't, I don't have the measuring stick. And I'm not here. That's not my job. My job is to love. My job is to say, listen, you know how I know I'm loved? I'm loved because of Jesus. And let me tell you about this guy and what he did. And let me talk to you about this innocence that he is, he has given to us. And let me tell you how God sees us. He sees us as innocent, even when we're, we're murdering people, right? Even when we're doing all of these horrible things, because he knows that the root of all of that comes from the deception of a sin-based identity. So you guys, this is a beautiful message. The gospel is a beautiful message of reconciliation and of love. And I just encourage you to just seep yourself in these truths and then judge the message by the fruit. Okay. If this message makes you more loving, if this message makes you more peaceful, if this message makes you fall in love with human beings and drop the condemnation and, and the things that the things that the suffering in your own life. And if it, 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 if signs and wonders start to follow you and things, people start to be healed because 
my goodness, the root of all of this causes so much sickness and disease and suffering and depression and anxiety and divorce and strife and wars. I mean, you guys, this is how we heal the planet. We heal the planet through unconditional love. And unconditional love is demonstrated through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you guys, I love you. It's such an honor to be, you know, <laughs> selected by God to be able to preach this gospel to you. And I just, my prayer is that you get it. My prayer is that you study it out for yourself, that you continue to detox from, from the illusion of separation and from any version of the gospel and religion and the toxicity of that stuff that has caused you to live in judgment of yourself, in judgment of others, in judgment of God, and to just sit down in the place of freedom, freedom from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, freedom from all of the things that come from judgment and self-righteousness and just enjoy being a son, enjoy being God's child. So God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. I love you. I love you. I love you. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Shalise's podcast. This recording is in part made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit Shalise.com where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalise's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose He created you for, then visit us at Shalise.com and watch Shalise's free training, where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.